This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 37. This is the 200 Churches Podcast, created to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who lead and pastor in a 200 church, and they strive to provide information and encouragement to make you smile, think, and be challenged. The Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my friend, Johnny Craig. And we are, we're actually, we're excited because we're in agreement this week on something. <laughs> Johnny, do you know what it is? That we love Dan Ryland? Well, not, not just Dan Ryland, but the guy who did the music for our podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like this. I like this. I, I hope everyone listening likes this music. I'm going to let it play just a little bit longer because I'm into the groove of this music. This is the stuff. Our friend Jeremy did this music for us, and he sent it to us all the way from Schenectady, New York. Shout out to Jeremy. The dude has wicked skills on the synthesizer. And I just like saying Schenectady. 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 You're up and you were from New York. How far yeah. from Schenectady? Yeah, but Schenectady was only 20 minutes from us. Oh, well, that, there you go. That's your old stomping grounds. I have a funny story. Can I tell a funny story? Please do. And then we're going to get right to the content. Here's the funny story. I had one of those old nine-passenger station wagons with the wood grain on the side. Yeah. Right? What was that movie? What was that movie? The vacation movie with the wood grain? National Lampoons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Okay, so I pull out of my garage, and I've got the garbage, my bag of garbage on the top on the luggage rack, and I'm going to drop it off in the dumpster at the bottom of my driveway on the way to, to, to the Schenectady Library. Okay. We drive all the way down there on the New York State Thruway, Interstate 90. We get off go through the easy pass, don't even have to pay tolls, you know, not, don't have to talk to anybody. We get to the library, I get out, and there's my garbage on the top of my wood panel. Station wagon. Station wagon. That's, it's good that that didn't go flying off on the highway. <laughs> that must have looked so classy. So when you think about Schenectady, you think about trash. I think about the New York State Thruway <laughs> with my bag of garbage. Driving no. down, how classy we were. I'm sure Schenectady is a beautiful place. If Jeremy is there producing this type of music, it can't be half bad. Schenectady is a home of General Electric. Huge GE oh, okay. place there. Sure. And a lot of good stuff going on. The Schenectady City Mission is there. Okay. Very good friend of ours is uh, kind of running that thing. Um, yeah, so a lot of good stuff going on in Schenectady. Very cool. Jeremy, thank you for this music. Yeah, today, awesome. What do we got today, uh, Johnny? What's your name, Johnny or Jeremy? Jo- my name's Johnny. <laughs> what do we got today? Today we're going to uh, go to part two of our conversation with Dan Ryland. Um, if you want part one of that, um, we did that earlier in this month of September. Now, between now and the end of the year, we're going to be putting uh, the other parts of this conversation up online via podcast. So it'll be once a month. With Dan Ryland, we should come up with like a clever name. Um, Dan Ryland once a month? That, okay, yeah, that's good. Dan Ryland wrote this book, Amplified Leadership. This week we're looking at part two of his book. Uh, and before we get into that conversation, we just want to kind of talk about two points he makes in his introduction. And the first point is followers want significance even more than they want success. And he says this in the context of creating and engaging followers. And so the first thing he says about engaging a follower is that followers want significance even more than they want success. So we often want results as pastors. We're looking for people who are going to do a good job. We want results. But followers, yeah, they want success. They want to be successful. 
But what are they successful at? You know, organizing the paperclip collection, you know, in the office? Or do they, do they want to be successful at something that's significant? And so followers do really want significance. And everybody wants to be part of a winning team, but they also want to be part of a team that's going in the direction that makes a difference. You know, this year uh, we have a new crop of students in the junior high youth group at our church. And we the youth group is not very big right now. Um, just, just the families that we have in the church have a lot of little kids. Um, or a lot of college students, but kind of in the middle ground, it's kind of smaller. And I have a couple college volunteers, and they're excited about youth ministry. And so I sit down with them, and I tell them, look, we have this many kids. We are going to minister to these kids so well that they won't be able to believe it. We're going to treat these kids so good that they're just going to love it to death. And eventually, they'll probably bring friends. And if they don't, that's fine, because it's significant to work with these students that are here, even though there's not a lot of them. And so what is success? Would it be having a big youth ministry? I don't know. But I think my leaders have caught the vision for significance being making an impact on the students who do come. Because you really only need one kid to make a difference in their life. And exactly. you've already got significance. So in a sense, it's, it's quality over quantity. Um, so that's one of the things that Dan Ryland says in the introduction to part two, which, by the way, in his book, Amplified Leadership, is chapters three and four. But the second thing that he says in there is that followers want to know you have their best interest at heart. And I think what he's going to say in today's, uh, in today's part two of our talk with him is that uh, are we using people or are we growing people? You know, are we just uh, putting people to work for us, or are we de- are we working with people and developing them? We want the same thing. Wherever you work, uh, whatever your job is, you want to know that the people you work for, the people you're serving, uh, they have your best interest at heart, and that they're not just in it for themselves and what you can give to them, but also what they reciprocally can do for you to build you up. And as pastors and leaders of small churches, sometimes we can get so focused on the ministry that we're not taking care of the people who are running the ministry. Um, And really, we need to check ourselves and say, hey, people are more important than ministry. And really, if you want, and Dan says this today in in our uh, conversation, really, if you want to grow the ministry, stop focusing on it and start focusing on people. Because people are the ones who grow the ministry ultimately. And with that, we're going to give you part two of our conversation with Dan Ryland, and then we'll be back with just a few final thoughts. We're going to go into uh, part two, into this uh, area of engaging followers. And uh, could you just take a a minute or so and summarize your message in part two of your book, uh, where it talks about engaging a follower, and the chapters here are encourage people to build them up and then inspire people to follow the vision. The big idea there, of course, is that most of us who are in, in ministry are highly relationally oriented. We're people, people by nature, most of us anyway, and shepherds. And so often I found what I call reluctant leaders. And whether it's an insecurity or whether they just want to hang out at Starbucks or whatever it might be, sometimes a misplaced even sense or definition of humility and what that means. And so they don't want to step up to owning the fact that you really do want the people to follow. You know, I I love coaching our young leaders saying, be careful not to, to look at recruitment as a management technique. Jesus was a master recruiter. When he said, come and follow me, he, he didn't want the people to say, like, whatever. He wanted them to say yes. So I think it's getting 
the big idea is to get comfortable with the fact that it's you're, you want people to follow you. And it's not about you. It's about the vision. So you want to encourage them to follow you because you're pointing them not to you. You're pointing them to the vision. You're pointing them to Jesus. You're pointing them to get more connected with the whole reason that church exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrote, you wrote, winning people's trust in our leadership is not a one-time deal. We must continue to earn people's loyal following throughout our time as leaders. So when I read that, I thought, uh, should, a small, should a small church pastor uh, not be insulted when after 10 years of ministry, he is still questioned at times by church members? Yes, I agree. I think he shouldn't be. I think if we're honest, it still hurts. You can you can be hurt by that because mm-hmm. we're we're human. I think we have to understand the ebb and flow of human nature. People have their own ideas, their own thoughts. They're under their own pressures. They get everything from politics to to the size of their paycheck influences how they think in any particular season. You can take both of those issues, politics and paychecks. The politics is going to affect what they get paid and how much they take home from health insurance. And then maybe they're on a board and they're talking about what the pastor makes. And all of a sudden, this very loyal, long-term, trusting relationship goes a little bit sideways because they're talking about a raise for the pastor. And the pastor goes, what? How did this happen? And it, it just does. I think it's okay for us to admit it. It's hurtful. But we shouldn't be insulted. We should rise up and keep earning that trust as we go. Dan, this is something Jeff and I have talked a little bit about just lately. He's been here for um, 10 years, and I've only been here for one at our church. And Mm -hmm. already there's been a few times where I'll do something, I'll promote something, I'll come up with an idea, a program, whatever, and it just... I told him it's like I'm slogging through the swamp trying to get buy-in and, and trying to get this. Why can't we just get some immediate, you know, type of recognition? So I guess my question is, what what is the price that a small church pastor has to pay in order to get people to follow his or her leadership? I think the first thing some pastors need to just embrace the fact that without sacrifice, there is no progress, there is no growth. And that's not a church growth fact. Jesus inaugurated that on the cross. We don't have any say about that. He established that without sacrifice, the church isn't going forward. And I think, I think sometimes in American culture, we, we resist that. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting sackcloth and ashes, but, but there is there's some point of sacrifice, whether it may be time or sleep, or finances, or whatever it might be, sure. uh, I think that small church pastor has to pay the price, so to speak. And and I think sometimes it's just nothing more than being willing to go slower than they want to go in their in their head. I think the the pastors, you know, they want to go, fa- they want to grow faster and go faster and reach more. And sometimes the sacrifice is they have to slow down enough so that people can keep up and go with them. Mm, yeah, that's good. I, I think. I've kind of lived through that, and I see Johnny living through that. You know, even now, I mean, he's he wants to move fast. He wants to turn on a dime, and the people fly off the bus, you know, so to speak. Talk heard fast, that before. Talk fast, move fast. That's my motto. Now, talk fast, you, move fast. Now, it, Dan, in your book, you you actually talked about the people also having to pay a price. So, you know, what kind of a price should pastors of small churches? understand that uh, that the follower needs to pay because sometimes you know pastors can think they're the ones sacrificing it all and they're the only ones paying the price but but what what type of a price does a follower have to pay well you know in the past i personally i think we asked them to pay too big of a price 
when we asked people to be at every meeting and every ministry and everything that was too that was too far and you know that was maybe back in the 80s when we just asked too much and too many ministries and too many things mm-hmm. and so but yet if the pastor realizes and and you you know this and we know this but sometimes under pressure we forget that they're just trying to raise their families and pay their bills and right, and so right. so when they give a when they give what might be perceived by the pastor as a small amount of time it's actually a large amount of time and it's a sacrifice because they take it away from the very thing we're trying to help uh strengthen which is their family and their outreach in the community and their ability to give themselves away. I think it's a two-way street for the people in the pasture to realize, let's do this together. Let's not let's not wear each other out, but let's go after the vision. Let's go after the vision together. Now, in this uh, in this chapter three, encourage people to build them up. I mean, you spend the whole chapter on this character quality of being an encouraging leader, and I, it's I, my sense was that you see this as if not the top, one of the very top qualities of a leader. So, so talk to us about how important encouragement really is. My friend, my mentor, John, John Maxwell, says encouragement is 51% of leadership, and I, I really believe that. Now, let me give a quick word of context. This book, Amplified Leadership, is all about skill sets only. I would never put encouragement over character and, in, and integrity. I give a little... Uh, in the introduction, uh, a bit of a contextual statement about that, that there are other, I call them dimensions of leadership, whether it's character or spiritual or psychological, but within skill sets only, it is so dominant and so strong that I, I think it's it's one of the, you know, don't pass go, don't collect $200. If you're not an encouraging leader, you're going to, you're going to struggle greatly. I think encouragement is just it's just a free gift that we can give people. It doesn't cost us anything. It's kind of shocking to me sometimes to to meet pastors who just can't seem to find a way to encourage their people. Um, they, I mean, it gives it gives us a return in our ministry. It blesses other people. Why do you think? I mean, do you see this in guys that, and you just think to yourself, is this guy really cut out for ministry? I do. I do. I remember consulting a guy in Colorado and he said, I, you know, I love, I love to teach. I love, I love God. He said, I just, he says, sometimes people just drive me nuts. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and he said, he goes, and he goes, and the thing is my board tells me all the time that I'm not very good with people. And so there are, and he's a great guy. He's a really smart guy, but I think Jeff, some of these, some of these guys are, it's just not natural. It takes so much effort. They might be an introvert. They may be more of a, a workaholic sort of project person. Mm-hmm. You can get stuck in that mode. But if you don't, I think that if we don't slow down and lean into it, again, sorry for re- repetition here, but ministry is going to be very, very difficult without it. Dan, you write in your book that um, our main job as pastors is not to grow a specific ministry um, or even the church overall. But it's to grow people. Could you just take a minute and maybe talk to the talk to the guys listening, the small church pastors, and tell them why that's so important? Because we can get bogged down thinking it's all about the ministry, it's all about you know the size or whatever. But really, you know, talk to those guys about why our job is to grow people. The short thing is, I believe if we grow the people, they'll grow the ministry. If we we operate by the two x factor, even with the staff, we pour twice as much in as we expect back out. And I think if we're if we're pouring in, they'll raise up. I think if we get really honest, um, we have to decide if we are going to build people or use them. 
if we're just trying to get the numbers and push our ministry forward under pressure of we want it to grow, I get that. It's a kingdom thing. It's not even a fine line. It's pretty blatant. Uh, if you're just using people to drive it forward or if your heart really, if your mind is really about pouring in it and developing, you can build it for a while and even build it fairly large. But after a while, it's going to start falling apart. And I, we can go into that more if you want to. Why? But uh, if, if your heart really isn't about raising up the people, sooner or later, and usually sooner, that's going to catch up with you, and the church will stop growing because you're not growing the people. And what you said earlier about the 80s, you know, there's, that's kind of a connection there, right? I mean, we, yep. you know, we get people to do stuff, but after a while, I mean, I was in a church that, you know, grew up into the low 2000s in the middle to late 70s, only to bottom out with just a few hundred, you know, 10 or 15 years later. Uh, and I think that's what happened. They, they grew the church, but the people weren't growing at the same time. Absolutely. If you remember in the 80s, I'm sure you were just a child then. Oh, just a child. Yes, I, I was. Yeah, <laughs> that was the first time that we hardcore, so to speak, uh, incorporated business principles and corporate ideas, which is which I think is is brilliant to do. But we went so far, you know, the power lunches and the power ties, and there was power everything and power evangelism, and like, okay, with the power already, you know, yeah, and yeah. and, and <laughs> of course, that just went so far. And then in the 90s, we we reacted in the opposite. And we, we said, well, that was we, we, we blew that, so let's flatline everything. If you remember, we, we took all the organization charts in the, in, the, in the 90s and flatlined it and turned them upside down and turned them on their sides. And we were trying to, we were trying to recover from the overdose of business. In mm-hmm. the, uh, and then I think in the, in the, since the turn of the century, we've been really trying to say, okay, we can learn from business. We need not be afraid, but we need not run from the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to find how these things come together. And I think we've been trying really hard to do that ever since. And George Barna is very glad he still has a job through it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. God bless our friend George. Hey, in Chapter 4, Inspire People to Follow the Vision, you talk about change in a church. And you gave three things there that you need to think about in terms of change. And and I know that especially in smaller churches, people can sometimes get get very hostile when you just even change one thing. And so you give three things here. I wondered if you'd just talk about them just for a minute. Three ways to create positive change in a a small church or in in any organization. I don't think people resist change as much as they resist transition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know that that great book, uh, I'm just blanking now, is it it by Bridges? Yeah, Um, on change, just a classic book. Well, and I love the illustration of, of the Charlie Brown, uh, Linus, that it's, it's not that he doesn't want his blanket cleaned. He just hates it when it's away from him in the dryer. Uh, and, and, the, and the, the other illustration of the trapeze artist, it's, it's not that the trapeze artist doesn't want to go from the one uh, swing to the next. It's just that scary in-between zone. <laughs> That's right. It's when you let go of the. It's not, I'm kind of excited about getting to the next the next swing, but it's in the middle. I don't like it. Hmm. And so one of the things that helps them transition from the old to the new, because they really don't fight the new as much as we think, is if we'll if we'll help them navigate the transition well, and knowing why the change is being made is critical to that. And then making sure the key leaders, you know, for I tell always have a, the pastor, please make sure your influencers, your board members are with you. 
and then make sure the timing's right. Uh, you can have a great idea done well that people get why, but you just pick the wrong time. Uh, sometimes, you know, a classic, a classic practical thing that I have, I coach a lot is the, a pastor will go to a conference and they'll get so fired up with a new idea and they're going to go, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it. And they go stand in their pulpit and they just announce this big change to the congregation. And they're not death. It's kiss of death. You might as well call you all when you're done. I mean, you're done. You know, you're just done. And you've got to slow down. And remember going back to Johnny we were talking about before, you've got to slow it down. Yep. Let, the, let the people catch up. Give them time because you've already made the trip emotionally, spiritually, mentally. You've already made the trip. That's what leaders do. They go first. But you've got to go back and get the people and take the people with you. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, this is like talking to Jeff right here. We've talked about some of those things you just said um, on the podcast. One of our first episodes was we talked about killing sacred cows, which was yep. kind of funny. Um, and this whole it, the timing's not right was something we talked about. You know, sometimes sometimes you could let the cows get a little fatter before you kill them. And uh, and then we've talked about the conference thing before too, where uh, you know Jeff Jeff has come back from conferences in the past and been fired up and. Uh, and then found people a little less fired up. Uh, along this, the change lines, you know, change takes risks for small church pastors. I mean, for large church pastors too, but, you know, we're talking a small church specifically. And so you, you talk about um, some leaders don't want to take risks for three reasons. Fear, perfectionism, and lack of clarity. Wh- which of these do you think is strongest or most prevalent specifically for a small church pastor? Most, the most I would come encounter with would be lack of clarity would be the biggest one. Just really not sure where they're going or how they're going to get there. That would be the by far the most dominant. And then fear is probably second. Perfectionism would be maybe trailing off third a good bit because there's there's a lot of guys who <laughs> perfection's not their problem. <laughs> it might be the opposite of perfection, but it's not their problem. Yeah, you drive into the onto the property and the weeds are taller than my car. Okay, perfection's not the problem. <laughs> but lack of clarity, when you're not sure how to get there, well then you're naturally gonna be fearful. You don't know where you're going, you don't know how you're gonna get there. And then when you're sitting with your board or maybe uh, in a business meeting with your people, they may not know what the issue is, but they'll they'll smell fear, <laughs> they'll sense that you really don't know. And what I'm saying here is not the same as you don't have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. Right. But there's a difference between knowing where you're going, have clarity in your vision, confidence in God's call, and that's not the same as having all the answers. Right. We're still talking about chapter four of your book, inspiring people to follow the vision. And and you connected in that um, being a disciplined leader with being reliable. This is something that is personally important to me because I'm not super disciplined. Um, and if, if, I, if I'm not naturally disciplined, can I still be reliable? Um, or is that just an area that I need to flesh out and fill out until I become more reliable? Jeff is looking at me like he wants to tell a story hey, Dan, about my no, lack Dan, of reliability. Dan, I think he just, Come on, Jeff, tell it. No, I think, I think Johnny just realized that I snuck in a question about him. <laughs> I got John Maxwell. Let, let him think, have it, Dan. Let him have it. I think we have a group starting here, like, hi, I'm Johnny, and I'm not just you know, just all form a group. Yeah. It's true. Um, it's true. Uh, wow. Well, you know, I, I obviously, and, and I, 
I don't know who here is and who isn't disciplined, and certainly there are undisciplined pastors, and if that's the issue, you've got to dig deep and, and work on that. But I, I think that we don't maybe have to be quite that rigid on the discipline issue because sometimes person, personality and traits that are strengths can make it look like they're undisciplined. And they're like, for example, Kevin Myers, he's extremely disciplined person, hardworking, smart. I mean, really sharp, sharp guy. But what, you know, and when he said to me, when I came, you know, the don't touch the culture, Mm -hmm. the one thing I said to him was, uh, pick it and stick it because, because (laughs) he's a, He's an entrepreneurial visionary, and they used to tease him uh, before I was here of, you know, vision of the week. Here we go. Vision of the week, you know. <laughs> and, and because he's just that smart and quick and like you, Jeff, he gets fired up and wants to go do stuff. And I said, dude, you've got to pick it and stick it. When you do that, you become more reliable because not everybody can keep up with a leader – who is moving and switching and connecting and, and you know, look at the pretty color. Let's go over here. They, they can't go that fast. And so by being more strategically – here's a better way to say it. By being more strategically stable, you become more reliable in their eyes and in fact, you exercise discipline. Hmm. That's good. That's really good. Unfortunately, Johnny is also a selective hearer, so I think he's just going to be telling me to stick it from now on. Dan told me to tell you to stick it. (laughs) That's crazy. For the record, I've never told Jeff to stick it. That's never happened before. I can't say it will never happen, but it certainly has not ever happened before. I don't know. He just winks at me and says, Dan Ryland. Remember Dan Ryland. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, this was uh, this was a good this was a really good conversation with Dan. Of course, we've got three more sections of this long conversation, but right now we want to highlight just a couple more things, especially here in chapter three. And if I read the very first sentence of this chapter, he says, "Encouragement is a kind of fuel," and it really is. He goes on to say in this chapter that nobody has ever complained about receiving too much encouragement, and it's so true. And and the truth is that encouragement is free. It is free for us to give encouragement to others, and it's really something that we've got to focus on. So the question you know, I would ask myself and you, Johnny, and those listening is, have you been an encourager? Are you an encouraging leader, or do you need to take some specific steps to become more of an encouraging leader? And I can, I can say personally, I, I need and love encouragement just even as a leader, so I can only imagine how much those who are... Um, serving in the ministry kind of under my leadership need that encouragement as well. That's, that is really the fuel, I think, that keeps things going. If people know, I mean, it goes back to the significance piece we talked about at the beginning. If people know that they are significant, if you are encouraging them, then they're going to be happy. That's really what a follower wants. And another aspect of that encouragement, it goes back to that the growing leaders that we've talked about. We talked about uh, before our conversation with Dan. Dan talked about it too. I mean, this is huge. To grow leaders means that we have to encourage leaders. And ultimately, the reason that we are encouraging our leaders is because it's our job to grow people. Okay, in, in Dan's book, he writes, your main job is not to grow a specific ministry in your church or even the church overall. It is to grow people. And think of encouragement as miracle grow for people. That was my little addition there, the miracle grow piece. But it's true. Encouraging people grows people. And that's, that's our goal in churches is not to grow the ministry, but to grow the people that are in the ministry. 
I remember somebody said that encouragement is oxygen to the soul. Yeah. And it really is. And too often we are focused on the church as uh, an organization, the church as a whole, and we're focused on maybe attendance or offerings. I mean, what church has ever focused on those things, right? I've never heard of that. Yeah. You know, we always measure other (laughs) things. But, you know, we're focused on how this department is doing. We're focused on the different ministries. But how often do we actually think about, I mean, consciously consider, how am I growing people? How am I growing Bob? How am I growing Susan? You know, how am I growing Jack? How, how am I growing these people? And if when we grow people, the church grows, we don't really have to worry about growing the church. We just have to worry about and be concerning ourselves with growing people. And it goes right back to developing significant relationships as leaders with those whom, with those whom we lead and with those who follow. And understanding it's about people, not the organization, because the organization is, after all, people. So this, this ties to what Jeff and I want to talk about finally today, kind of at the end of this conversation, and that is communication. You can't encourage people. You cannot encourage people unless you're communicating with them. You cannot grow people unless you are communicating with them. Um, and there's been there's been areas in our own church recently where um, I I have failed to communicate with people as clearly or as often as I should have, and it shows. It can show in those people they feel a little more stressed. They feel a little less connected. Uh, and this is an area. I mean, I hope on the 200 Churches podcast, you never think we've got it all figured out because, hey, we're here growing with the rest of you. Absolutely. So uh, this has been an issue, but this is really the truth. When you think you've communicated enough, communicate some more. There's no such thing as over-communication. We'll just, just inundate people with communication and encouragement, and then that will help them to grow. I think in the same way that people have never complained about getting encouraged too much, in, in ministry... Honestly, I really never have had anybody come to me and say, you know, you're just over-communicating. You're just communicating way too much. You're, you keep telling us this over and over. You keep telling us too much. I've never had anybody do that. And it's kind of like when, we, when I package something up to ship it, I'm always going to err on the side of putting too much packing tape on the box and not like just enough. I mean, I want to be guilty of putting too much on because then I know it's covered. I know it's not going to fall out. I know it's not going to rip apart. I think in the same way, we just need to over-communicate with our people. And they say that when you're getting sick and tired of saying the same thing over and over, your people are just beginning to actually hear. So, hey, I say, let's communicate and communicate and communicate until people start telling us, you know what? We know, we know, we know you're communicating too much. Then maybe we can back off a little bit. And for the record, I mean, Johnny, we, we do in our podcast, we want to be honest about what we're yeah, doing in our church. I mean, absolutely. we don't have it all together. It's going to be a challenge for me to do that because I don't like bothering people. I don't like interrupting people. Right. And so I don't over-communicate. I'm guilty of that. So I need to, in the next weeks, really work on over-communicating so that people are in the know. Think about what our friend Rick Warren says. People are down on what they're not up on. 
<laughs> that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. So we hope that this episode of the 200 Churches podcast has been helpful and encouraging to you. As always, a huge thank you to Dan Ryland, uh, who gives us such awesome content. The book is Amplified Leadership. We don't get paid to say that. We just believe in what it's all about. And all the links for Amplified Leadership, for Dan Ryland, for anything that we talked about on the podcast, all of the links are on that post for episode number 37 of the 200 Churches podcast. Thanks for listening today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.